Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. The nation's opioid crisis reached new heights in 2017. Preliminary estimates suggest there were 17% more deaths from drug overdose between May of 2016 and May 2017 compared to the previous year. There are now 144 overdose deaths per day in our country, 63% of which come from opioids. In an effort to break the cycle of drug trafficking, drug violence, and drug abuse, the DEA has developed DEA 360, a comprehensive approach to tackling the cycle of violence and addiction generated by the link between drug cartels, violent gangs, and the rising problem of prescription opioid and heroin abuse in our country. Today, we'll talk with Sean Ferns. Sean is the Chief of Community Outreach for DEA 360. So, Sean, welcome. And thank you for having me, Greg. Good to be here. Okay. So you have three stated goals of the program. First, to eliminate drug trafficking organizations and gangs, to partner with the medical community to raise awareness and strengthen community organizations by building drug-free communities. So let's break it down, starting with the elimination of drug trafficking and the gangs. Can you speak to that goal? Absolutely. That's the first pillar of 360. It's the enforcement piece of 360. Um, And if you look at a drug trafficking organization as being a long metal chain that reaches from the ground of a particular community, and let's take Dayton, Ohio, for example, uh, if Dayton is one end of the chain, then there are links of that chain that not only run through other communities around the United States, but then also into international countries around the world. And what DEA does is try and have as significant an impact as possible on that chain. Um, And so our enforcement operations include everything from our presence in 69 countries around the world uh, to help those countries stop these products from coming here to the United States in the first place. And when we're talking about the opioid heroin fentanyl issue, we're talking about heroin being produced in other countries. We're talking about the precursor chemicals used to make fentanyl from other countries. So that's one piece of the chain. Um, But then we're also talking about the cartels and the gangs that are used 
as intermediaries between the start of drug production to the distribution channel down on the street level. And DEA is very good at working with our other federal, state, and local partners to identify, if you will, uh, strategic links in that chain where there are, in many cases, uh, maybe just a couple of people in a drug cartel organization who know everything about the low-level distribution going on in a community like Dayton, and they also know the folks up at the higher end levels, be them in Mexico or Colombia or China, uh, that are both the source of the product and the ultimate destination of the profits. And what DEA does with our enforcement actions is target that link in the chain, break the chain, and then go up the chain to, if you will, cut off the head of the snake and, and shut down that cartel operation. And then go down the chain, and, and this is in particular in support with state and local police, have an effect on the drug gangs and the drug cartel distributors that are working down in the on the streets, for example, of, of Dayton, Ohio, or any community across the country. So that's really the, the enforcement strategy of, of 360. Over a three-year period preceding 2016, fentanyl-related deaths were up 540%. And, and I have to say quite publicly that we acknowledge the important work that the Chinese government has done in the last year in particular. Um, up until maybe a year or 18 months ago, most of the chemicals used to make the clandestine fentanyl, and, and let me stop and make a very clear point here, that the large majority of fentanyl that is a problem in America today is not the pharmaceutical-grade fentanyl that you get prescribed to you by a doctor for chronic pain, okay? There is a legitimate use of fentanyl patches and fentanyl lollipops and things like that, and that's very strictly controlled and is not the source of the problem. The problem is that we had, up until again, 12 to 18 months ago, the chemicals used to make fentanyl in China were not regulated. And so you could, a, a, a trafficking organization, could order those chemicals and have them shipped. Many of those chemicals got shipped to Mexico, some got shipped to Canada, and some got shipped here to the United States and then it was made up into a fentanyl-like product in these clandestine labs. In episode 64 of our podcast series, we learned from a Wall Street Journal reporter that for little more than $800, the raw material can be purchased online to produce illicit fentanyl with a street value of over $800,000. So it's reassuring to know efforts are being made to shut down this source. And what you've seen lately is that the Chinese have regulated many of those chemicals uh, like never before. And the United States, both at the state level and now at the federal level, have targeted the manufacturer of fentanyl. We understand that that is uh, where a lot of this problem is coming from with, with stronger and stronger product. You had initially it was just fentanyl, uh, which was bad enough, and then it moved to carfentanyl. Um, and then butyl fentanyl and any number of different types of fentanyl. Uh, and so there is action now actually going on with uh, uh, the United States Congress and with DEA uh, to restrict fentanyl even more than it ever has before. Um, and, and we are optimistic that we are targeting these organizations that are 
clandestinely shipping the fentanyl into the United States. Certainly. So let's move along to your efforts to partner with the medical community to raise awareness. And that diversion piece, uh, Greg, is the second pillar of the 360 strategy. Um, Since DEA was created back in the 70s, we have had a section of our organization that's known as the Office of Diversion Control. And again, most people don't realize that in addition to being a law enforcement organization, DEA is also a regulatory organization. And so we regulate about 1.6 to 1.7 million doctors, pharmacists, manufacturers of prescription drugs, wholesalers, and distributors. And that diversion control effort was set up in order to ensure that, number one, enough medications were made available to the American public to meet medical need, but that, two, no more than is what is necessary to meet medical need is out there. And that's been a constant tension over the decades, is how do you define, you know, what's available and what's needed to meet medical need. So we have, uh, in the diversion control effort, uh, done regular compliance checks on doctors' offices and pharmacies and pharmaceutical manufacturers, um, and also done, frankly, enforcement operations against, um, again, a small percentage of the doctor and pharmacist and manufacturer population, but, you know, there have been some bad actors, uh, and there have been, over time, some rogue Internet pharmacies that were set up in order to try and go around the legitimate medical uh, community and the safeguards that are in place in order to ensure that these products are available. So with the 360 strategy, we're stepping up our game and we're saying that, okay, the DEA diversion staff um, is targeting, uh, you know, pain clinics that are not operating within the law, doctors that are not prescribing according to what state and local you know, uh, state boards of pharmacy and the state boards of of, uh, medicine say is appropriate. Um, And then we're also engaging a lot of trade associations and professional associations like the National Board of Pharmacy uh, in order to say, again, DEA's regulatory work isn't going to be enough. We need doctors' organizations to make sure that their members know, you know, what good prescribing practices are, and we're delighted that the CDC and the Surgeon General, in particular in the last year, have come out with great guidance. Okay. So, under the program, how does the diversion control enforcement actions against DEA registrants that do you know, are rogue, they're operating outside the law. How's it, how's it work as a practical matter now? How's it work today? So we've got the ability to take away a registration. And, and the registration is what gives a doctor his or her authority to write prescriptions. A registration is what gives a pharmacist uh, their ability to fill prescriptions. And a registration is what gives a manufacturer or a distributor of prescription drugs the ability to do their work. Uh, and if DEA finds that any one of those actors is not purporting to the Controlled Substances Act, which gives, you know, the, sets the ground rules, if you will, uh, then DEA will, will take that away. Uh, a further step is that the 
credentialing organization, for example, for a doctor, the State Board of Medicine, or for a pharmacist, the State Board of Pharmacy, can also take away their license to either practice medicine or to be a practicing pharmacist. So there's both a federal uh, uh, action that can be taken, uh, but there's also a state-level action that can be taken. And in addition to DEA taking away uh, an individual's registration to either, again, prescribe, manufacture, or fill prescriptions, uh, there's also the court system and putting uh, evidence in front of the United States attorney uh, to say, you know what, we think that we've got a case here, evidence that uh, Dr. A, B, or C uh, has been writing, uh, you know, what is certainly in excess of, of uh, what is allowed or, or approved for good medicine. I mean, you look at the evidence um, on the DEA website of cases that have been done against uh, doctors and pharmacists, we're not talking about docs who are writing scripts for, you know, a couple extra oxycodone, uh, but literally hundreds and hundreds of, of pills, uh, and that, quite frankly, they're operating outside the bounds of the law. Do you have a medium for citizens to report suspected foul play to your organization? As a matter of fact, they can. Uh, if they go really easy on the DEA.gov website, uh, there is a, a link that they can click on uh, for diversion. We take tips all the time. There's also an 800 number. Um, forgive me, I don't recall the number off the top of my head, but again, DEA.gov uh, is the easiest way for folks to access that information. And we appreciate uh, the uh, information that we get from the community. The involvement of every member of the community is critical, from prevention to interventions to treatment to recovery. Um, no one piece of the puzzle is the silver bullet, but when all pieces of the puzzle are working together or all pieces of the machine are working together, that's when we see time and again in history where we've been able to overcome drug epidemics. And, and you know, again, I'm a, a bit of a student of history and we have the DEA Museum uh, that talks about America's history with drug epidemics. But this current opioid crisis is not our first, nor sadly um, do I think it's going to be our last, unless we can tackle the, the generational amnesia, if you will. Um, you know, back in the 60s and, and 70s, our country faced a previous pill problem. Then it was Talwin and benzodiazepines and quaaludes. Uh, you know, they were known as T's and blues and ludes. And, and that epidemic was overcome, in part through enforcement and regulation, sure, but also through education. And I think you see a lot of communities across the country, a lot of states, and a lot of pieces of the federal government saying, you know what, we've got to educate people to follow their doctor's instructions, uh, or, or their doctor's um, uh, uh, advice, the pharmacist instructions, and, and, and use the prescription drugs the way they're intended and then get rid of them when they're done. Because we know from CDC data that four out of five new heroin users come to heroin from prescription pills. And so we have to move upstream of the problem in order to have a generational impact. And the 360 strategy in these pilot cities that we're running it in is saying just that, that 
at the elementary school level, at the middle school level, at the high school level. There are opportunities to educate students. There are opportunities to educate teachers. There are opportunities to educate parents. Um, and then there's the fourth uh, audience really is the workplace. And you know, it, it goes without saying, how can we as a nation compete in the global economy if we have businesses that are affected and employees that are affected by the opioid crisis by employees coming to work at less than peak efficiency because they're uh, affected by uh, prescription drug misuse or if it's uh, progressed to addiction. Um, so that education piece is absolutely critical. And DEA can't do it alone. And what the 360 strategy says is that there are national organizations that have boots on the ground in every community in the country that are helping us. Um, and I mentioned treatment and recovery, and that's also part of the 360 strategy, is making sure that no one in a particular community can say, I didn't know that there was treatment available in my area. Now, we all know that there are challenges around treatment in terms of its affordability and its access because of not enough treatment programs. Um, and then there's the challenge of, of developing better treatment protocols that have less recidivism uh, and, and less chance of relapse. Uh, but it's still treatment works, uh, and it's effective, and, and we can move people into recovery. DEA happens to believe that our best return on investment, above all else, is you know getting out there and trying to prevent this all from happening in the first place. A little earlier, Sean, you mentioned your pilot cities. You began in 2016 in Louisville, Milwaukee, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh. And then from there, last year, you spread it on to Dayton, Albuquerque, Charleston, and uh, Manchester, the Manchester District. For 2018, you have South Jersey and Salt Lake City targeted. So the question is, how did you target those cities? And for other communities that would like to get involved with the DEA 360 program to raise awareness and build drug-free communities, how do they go about engaging you and your organization? Great, great. Two great questions. The, the first of your questions, how did we go to those communities? Um, it is critically important that any response uh, to a particular public health crisis be data-driven. Uh, and we are delighted to be working in lockstep with our friends at the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They have uh, incredible uh, data archives of uh, overdose death rates and uh, not only mortality but morbidity. Uh, and, and we literally followed the numbers. What communities were being affected the hardest by prescription opioid and heroin fentanyl overdose. Um, one of the things that we've developed over the last year uh, in partnership with the folks at Discovery Channel uh, is a science-based uh, series of lesson plans for middle, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, a parent toolkit, and a couple of other, like a virtual field trip and a, uh, a video challenge. All of this is under what we call Operation Prevention. Operation Prevention's mission is to educate students about the true impacts of opioids and kickstart life-saving conversations in the home and in the classroom. And that curriculum is available free of charge on the DEA website. 
and it's our opportunity to say that the community education piece of 360 can be deployed anywhere, and that this free science-based resource is available, operationprevention.com, uh, and that it's not just DEA pretending to know uh, how to develop a curriculum for a classroom, but actually the curriculum experts at Discovery, uh, Discovery Education, uh, using content from the National Institute on Drug Abuse and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, otherwise known as SAMHSA, U.S. Department of Education, and best practices for how to educate. Um, and this le these lesson plans are all about the science of opioids and the science of addiction, um, and give teachers a real easy way to talk about this issue within one classroom period. Uh, the other thing that's available right now uh, for folks are all of our uh, drug prevention education materials. Uh, that are on uh, DEA's prevention website, which is www.getsmartaboutdrugs.com. Again, www.getsmartaboutdrugs.com. Again, free science-based materials that are written at a really basic level for folks to understand. And then we also link to lots of other resources that are available from other federal agencies. Um, we, we don't ever want people to say, that they didn't have access to the kinds of educational materials that are evidence-based in order to be able to empower this next generation of kids. Um, Manchester, New Hampshire uh, was a, a very interesting approach. And, 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 and one of the things about 360 is that it's not a federal program that's simply shoved down the throats of the local community. The 360 strategy has some deliverables that DEA brings to the table and some money that DEA brings to the table, but how it's implemented in a Dayton, Ohio versus a Manchester, New Hampshire versus a Salt Lake City, Utah is, is very different. Uh, and it all depends on the reality on the ground in the community. So back to Manchester, New Hampshire, when 360 came to town, uh, in, in meeting with and listening to local prevention, treatment, law enforcement, and recovery leaders and civic groups, you know, they said, hey, we, we've been at, uh, you know, ground zero on the opioid issue for quite some time. We already know what our problems are. We need help attacking those problems. And so, for example, one of the problems they realized is that they, they needed help engaging the youth in the greater Manchester area. That that they had buy-in from adults, but you know, really getting the youth engaged. And so the 360 strategy took on a particular youth focus. And at the um, arena there in downtown Manchester, you know, we brought together 8,000 high school kids from across not just greater Manchester, but it ended up being, you know, because New Hampshire is not all that big, uh, almost a statewide effort. And the kids had not only an opportunity that day to hear from the Attorney General of the United States and their state uh, leadership, the senators, the mayor, the chief of police, but also folks that they look up to, like um, you know, uh, a member of the New England Patriots who was there. And, and that effort that day galvanized a, a group of youth who to this day continue to meet and are now part of the local community coalition work in Manchester 
and, and are engaged with the governor of New Hampshire uh, and are doing digital social media outreach work to help with peer-to-peer -peer education. Because we all know it's not enough for adults to be talking to kids because so much of what an adult says can be ignored, but that it's critical for peer-to-peer -peer kids talking to kids. And so a, a real success out of Manchester has been activating that youth sector of the community to say, you know what, um, we know that uh, we've got to be at the table and active and helping our friends at a high school level, at a middle school level, so that we don't become the next statistic uh, in, in the opioid issue. Um, Dayton, Ohio is still running strong, and an early success in Dayton, Ohio has been the activation of a number of great community groups that hadn't had the platform for engaging their entire community. Um, and we sponsored, for example, a, a 5K run for recovery uh, in Dayton that got, again, because of DEA's media relationships, got incredible press attention um, and really gave hope to folks in the community that, you know what, there, there is a way to get ourselves out of this mess um, and that we can move forward uh, and beyond where we're currently at. For other communities that might want to engage you and your team in that yeah. same com capacity around an event, how would they go about engaging you? Yeah, easiest way is through the 360 page on our website. It's 360.dea.gov. And each of our pilot cities has its own section on that page. Um, and they can go and look at the activities that are being done in that community, the organizations that are involved, um, and contact information to those local communities, including the local DEA office. You know, we've got DEA offices in 226 communities across the country, um, and we welcome the opportunity to work not just in these pilot cities, but with any community. Well, I want to thank you for your time today, Sean. This has been quite enlightening. What final thoughts would you like to share with our listeners about DEA 360 and its potential impact on the opioid epidemic in our country? The 360 strategy is DEA's effort to maximize every piece of our machine to bring to bear in these communities. The piece that DEA can't control that we want more help with is the community. And to any listener who's involved in a community group, a faith-based group, um, a business community, uh, step up to the table and say, we need to be part of the solution we have got to enable our communities to be resistant, not just to this opioid issue, but to any future issue, be it cocaine or meth or heroin. Uh, it really is about empowering the public. And we can't thank enough the community groups that have already come and the individual citizens who've already come to the table and said, you know what, I, I want to be part of the solution uh, rather than just being a bystander. We've been talking with Sean Ferens, the Chief of Community Outreach for DEA 360, a program which rolled out in November of 2015 in the Pittsburgh area. Since that time, the DEA has deployed the strategy in other pilot cities throughout our country in a three-pronged approach to combat the opioid epidemic. As a footnote, 
we wanted to ask about a law change profiled on 60 Minutes that restricted the DEA's ability to shut down middlemen for diverting opioids on the black market. But the DEA scratched that question from our list. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.